all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. From MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedy for Women, the show all about addressing issues of health and wellness from a woman's perspective. I am Dr. Allie Brown. I am a surgical pathologist. My co-host, Dr. Michelle Owens, is here, and we have a special guest today, Dr. Lillian Lien. She is a professor of endocrinology and the director of endocrinology, actually, at UMMC. We're going to talk all about diabetes today, a very common illness that unfortunately plagues many Mississippians. Call in today with your comments or questions at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or send us an email at women at mpbonline.org. This is Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And we're back on Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. This is Dr. Allie Brown. I am joined today with my co-host, Dr. Michelle Owens, who is en route. And then we have a special guest today, a specialist and expert in endocrinology, specifically diabetes, Dr. Lillian Lien. Good morning. Good morning. We were just talking about various ailments we've had in the past. <laughs> we, were, we were commiserating in misery. I was telling Dr. Lien that I just recently had shingles. Which I just want to say for the listening audience out there is no fun. So if you are 50 years of age or older, I would strongly recommend from experience to have the shingles vaccine. Go see your doctor and please get it. I support that 100%. There's no need to suffer. That's Try right. to prevent. Right? That, that's exactly right. And people get so scared of vaccines and this and that. But trust me, you would rather have the vaccine than have shingles. It is extremely <laughs> painful. Um, and you feel like you have the flu, kind of. It gives you this general malaise and fever. I mean, that was almost the worst part of it uh, uh, to me. But I don't know who wants to hear all my yammering on. But the age used to be 60 to get the vaccine. There is a relatively newer vaccine now that is indicated down patients mm-hmm. 50 years of age or older. And I don't know if you know, because I know that you specialize more in diabetes. But now that I've had shingles, though I'm in my 40s, can, do, can I get it? The vaccine um, early? I, I want it early. Actually, don't know about forties, fifty. Man, I want it. Fifty I'll for pay. sure. I'll yeah, pay out of pocket. I, I want that. Think, <laughs> I think probably we're going to have to wait for more recommendations yeah. because the, the the newest version is so new. So new, yeah. yeah so, but I, I mean, I much like you. I'm wondering at what point can we all go protect ourselves? Right. So I think we'll have to see what the authorities think about with this newest version. At what point is it appropriate? But yeah. I think everyone should be thinking about it for sure. I'm thinking about it ever since I had it. I'll tell <laughs> <Yeah>. you. <laughs> 
<laughs> and it itches too. It's like like having chicken pox. But anyway, it's great to have you today on Thank the show. Um, diabetes is a huge topic, as you yeah. very well know. Um, it is something that is so prevalent, uh, especially mm-hmm. in the state of Mississippi, where we where we serve, and in the South, I guess, just in general. Yeah. Go ahead. Can you tell us a bit about yourself, where you're from, oh, okay. why you chose your field? Do you have a family, sure, et cetera? Sure. Okay. Well, uh, so I have been interested in diabetes for many years, um, partly a little bit because of family issues, but not not mainly. You know, I know a lot of people that's the reason is maybe they had a, a brother or sister or something. I, I did have an uncle, um, do have an uncle who is now in his 80s, um, so he has done well. But he had diabetes, and I remember that from when I was younger, that he dealt with a lot of injections and insulins. Mm-hmm. I'll be honest with you. When I was younger, I didn't appreciate it at all. You know, I didn't realize how hard it was until later when I was actually educated on it. I realized that he was checking his sugars six times a day and just trying to do everything right, still having a lot of trouble, you know, still struggling with it. Um, so what happened is I actually um, just had great mentors. I went to medical school at Duke. Um, I was actually at, uh, uh, lived and trained in Durham and at Duke for 20 years. And um, during that time, uh, I actually met a bunch of mentors in the endocrinology division. And so I really enjoyed working with them. And then when I saw what the impact of diabetes was, both in the clinical setting and especially in the hospital, I, I started getting interested in thinking this is something that I, we clearly can help people with. Um, and so that's actually what happened. And so I pursued a career in endocrinology and then inpatient diabetes, especially working on hospital issues, trying to make insulin safer in the hospital. Did that at Duke for maybe a decade or so um, and then got a, an email asking whether I wanted to move to the place that had the number one um, rates and prevalence of diabetes. And I thought that this was a actually really interesting question. I did not have any connections to Mississippi, but I came down here. I met a lot of the people at UMMC, thought that the university environment was fantastic. Um, all of the faculty and providers and um, nursing staff are incredibly hardworking and dedicated, and I decided that that's a group that I would love to join, and especially when they explained that while, you know, where I was at Duke, you can make some impact locally. If I came to Mississippi, you can have a statewide Absolutely. impact. Mm-hmm. And that's the one of the things I'm really proud of is I think that all of us that work in the field, especially at the university level and in, in, in here in Jackson, we are helping to educate but also train folks who will go out to all parts of the state, whether it's Tupelo, Starkville, everywhere, you know, and be helping to not only take care of patients, but also treat and prevent. I love that you said that because it really is our responsibility as educators at UMMC to create the best doctors we possibly can because it really does that's one of the biggest impacts we can have on the state don't you think dr owens absolutely oh, she just i just see somebody in front of me who i hadn't seen in a while she just snuck in she did sneak in it's so good <laughs> to see snuck in. it's look i'm glad i'm glad to see you guys i'm glad to be here because it was up in the air this morning for a minute <laughs> i know we can talk about that a little bit oh uh, yeah the number to call in uh for you folks we're going to talk about diabetes today questions or comments it's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. that's one eight. 77 MPB ring 
or you can email us at women at mpbonline.org. I just said that off the top of my head. I hope I was right with it's those numbers. It's totally right. Yes. I mean, it's only been five years, right? Hey. Oh, <laughs> no, I'm so, I'm, Lily, I'm so glad that you're here because um, well, we, um, we've wanted to do a diabetes show for a while and this is such a big problem in Mississippi and it's also an issue that is very near and dear to my heart because my grandmother um, had diabetes. I have a very strong family history of diabetes. I've been trying to work against my genetics my for most of my adult life. Um, and um, my grandmother, who was a really big influence in my life, actually passed away from complications oh, wow. due to diabetes. And as a result, I became like a delegate for diabetes, working with the American Diabetes Association. Um, and I live in a state where there we have the highest rates. Among, yeah. We're among the highest. Um, of people who are living with diabetes, and and I, it amazes me how how little people know about the systemic effects of the disease, the long term consequences, um, and how. Although, and and I, I always tell people it is really hard, especially for younger patients who have this diagnosis to um, who struggle with compliance, whether it's dietary or with medications. Mm-hmm. Um, but how important it is for the course of your, you know, of your lifetime. And I think it's also important for people to know what things place them at risk um, and, and to understand that if they we, we talk about this all the time about um, early intervention and how with with early intervention and doing things right and creating the lifestyle changes that are necessary early on, how that really can give you a long period of a, a, a good quality of life um, and and p- to prevent or delay a lot of bad complications. Yeah. And actually, I'm really glad that you said that, Michelle, because one of the things that I've heard that has happened in some parts of the state is that the prevalence is so high that there even is sort of a fatalistic approach to it that I actually was really sad to hear stories about um, in some places – kids or teenagers who are just convinced that someday they're going to have dialysis or someday mm-hmm. they're going to have an amputation because when they look around that's what most that's of their, their norm yeah Absolutely. uncles and mm-hmm. you know grandparents are dealing with and and that really made me sad because i thought to it's one thing to know there are complications it's another thing to feel you can't do anything about right it, especially when that's wrong right yeah. today we will to. help dispel these feelings and thoughts throughout the state we're going to go to the phone lines we have our first caller Mark is calling from Tupelo. Hello, Mark. How's it going, doctors? Hey, good morning. Hey. We great. <laughs> Tell you one thing, I've already had a busy week this week. Regular job, Monday through Thursday, Monday through Friday, just got off work gate. But I turned around and worked the uh, Winter Jam concert yesterday in Tupelo, and I'm working the Kiss concert on tomorrow. That's cool. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, That's a blast from the past. Oh, my gosh. Uh, but, Love Kiss but, as a kid. That, that's obviously not why I'm calling. <laughs> well, is it obvious? We, we I don't like, know. Yeah, we liked Kiss, but know. that's okay. I was <laughs> feeling really jelly for a minute, so I don't know it was working. <laughs> now, I, can't, I, not, I cannot pull a Gene Simmons, but I can touch my nose with my tongue. I'm choking my 10-year-old, my word. All right. So what's going on, Mark? What's your question? <laughs> well, hey, y'all want to jump on that, so I jumped on that with y'all. I'm anyway. for it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, here's the thing. I've got a family history on my mom's side with diabetes. Uh, my mother was finally diagnosed with diabetes maybe three or four years ago, and I know she gives herself uh, shots for it. Mm-hmm. My grandfather, who passed away of a heart attack, he was a full-blown diabetic also. 
Okay. Um, but my mom's slightly younger brother has had a real bad battle with uh, with it. It got bad enough that he had to have half of his uh, right leg amputated because Uh-oh. of the uh, diabetes. Mm-hmm. So obviously he did not take care of himself like he should be. He is now, but it's basically too late. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I, I know about the family history, and I know it. I know that is part of it. But here's the thing: to keep myself healthy, mm-hmm. in addition to doing the stagehand work, which I've been doing seasonally almost 24 years now. Um, what I what I do is I swim That's at least great. once a week mm-hmm. for about two hours straight. And if I'm not doing that, then I play uh, basketball and uh, full court. Full, full court competitive pickup basketball, and when I'm not doing that, I'm refereeing uh, park and rec basketball, AAU basketball. Well, we can do a lot. That's fantastic. AA yeah. basketball. With all of that exercise that I'm already doing, and I'm already eating healthy as it is, I'm staying away from fried foods. Is there anything I need to be doing different? Because I've been ma- able to maintain my weight of 170 since I was in junior high, and I'm now 42. Okay. Well, I mean, I think first we got to congratulate you because I don't think you're the average 42-year-old. Um, I mean, that is a lot of work. That is a lot of exercise and activity. Even just being able to maintain the weight, I can tell you, is already pretty special. We yeah. really need to be encouraging Absolutely. more people to – I think that actually that's a really good point, right? That maybe not everybody needs to focus on a whole lot of weight loss, but at least to try to just – avoid weight gain that's mm. that's one step yeah but anyway um so i i congratulate you mark on what you're doing i think i would continue and i think the thing that's going to be challenging will be simply finding uh, which of those activities that you love the most because as you get older it probably gets a little bit harder to keep up that type of pace and so you know picking which of the activities you really enjoy and that you would like to continue uh, into your 70s and 80s. Um, I say that as an example because my dad, um, he has high blood pressure, so he doesn't have diabetes, but he has high blood pressure, and he really was never very active, but in his 60s, he started picking up swimming. So when you talk about swimming, I can tell you that he has found that that is probably one of the more enjoyable and healthy choices that you can make. Um, I will also say from the standpoint of diabetes and insulin, any activity is good because you get your muscles moving, you get your muscles warm, insulin processes better in that setting. So whatever insulin your body is already making or for those who are taking it, it will be more effective if you are physically active. Um, So I just would encourage you to continue with that. As a side point, for those who have not been able to start habits of swimming and and other regular activities, walking is a good beginning. It's a very good beginning. A lot of people think that's not enough. You know, I hear about Mm -hmm. people trying to run marathons, and that's, that's great if you can. Um, personally, I can't. I'm not a marathon runner, but I can walk. And so I have a little baby elliptical at home, and the baby elliptical works. It's sat in front of the TV, which is part of how it works. Um, but it, that's fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Whatever it takes to yeah, get you, you to have move. to do something that you will do. Yeah. yeah. And, and keep doing. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. All right, Mark, sounds like you're you're doing everything right. Keep it up and uh, keep reasonable expectations for yourself. Do you sleep? I'm just wondering. <laughs> well, due to 
due to the fact I'm a Navy veteran, my body oh. clock is still not adjusted hmm. to civilian sleep, so I can go up four to six hours and still be ready to party all day. You're the man, Mark. Yeah, and I have to say, they actually, this is totally off topic and not my expertise, but I was reading recently about sleep and that that actually is pretty important and that they do feel that trying to get maybe seven hours yeah, um, for is, adults yeah, yeah. recommended because so that, lack of sleep certainly kicks in those adrenals and gets kind of the adrenal stress. hormones the stress hormones increase yeah. which can affect your blood sugar so yeah. keep that in mind yeah. mark uh, as you get older but we are impressed mark good job keep going absolutely well it's time for us to take our first break thanks for calling mark the number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. with any questions or comments about diabetes. We'd love to have you. We have our expert today, Dr. Leanne, and Dr. Owens and I will be right back after this break. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Southern Remedy for Women here on MPB Think Radio. I am joined by my fantastic favorite co-host, Dr. Michelle Owens, who is Never an, mind the only a specialist in maternal fetal medicine at UMMC, and our expert guest du jour, Dr. Lillian Lien, who is, is wonderful. That's right, endocrinologist, the you section head of endocrinology. Too. Yeah. The diabetes queen. We got the sweet potato queens coming in town next month. We got the diabetes queen here with us in advance. There you go. There you go. Sweet potato queens. How long wow. you been here? Come on now. Well, at the break, we'll, we'll educate yeah, you. Yeah, on it's, 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 it's here. here. <laughs> we'll buy you a book. Well, fantastic. We had a caller in our first segment who talked about how to be uh, proactive and in, in, yeah. in not getting diabetes, which, of course, we always talk about. Dr. Owens always says prevention is key. So Absolutely. if you yeah. have a predisposition, the first thing is to know that you have this predisposition to understand your family history. And then to understand your risk factors and how you can modify those risk ha- uh, factors with your lifestyle or some sort of medication if necessary. Uh, but once someone has been diagnosed with diabetes, you know, life changes. It's true. Um, it's, it's quite um, a disease to have. It's something yeah. that you don't want to just take care of when symptoms get bad or, or things like that. It's something that you really have to adjust your lifestyle to, yeah. to, to cope and with. I, I'm kind of glad you brought up the diagnosis moment because um, I, I remember, again, you know, back to medical school, sometimes sometimes people can be pretty devastated by a diagnosis like that. You oh, know? absolutely. I mean, especially, again, because of the fact that there is so much not known about prevention, that the fact that people think about the complications and they think about the insulin and they don't necessarily realize that 
that it's not the end of the world. And so that's, I think, an important thing for anyone who may have been recently diagnosed is to know that there's no question that this is an important thing to deal with and that it will involve habit changes and behavior changes, but it's not a life change. It doesn't have to be. Um, and I think that's important because what we try to emphasize to, to patients is living with diabetes, not living about diabetes or living around it, right? Mm-hmm. So yes, you have to start thinking about your habits, including increased exercise, including food often, you know, choices, sometimes including different medicines. But that can become part of a routine that I've often told people they might actually end up overall healthier with the diagnosis than they might have been without. I could see that for sure. That's a great way to look at it. I mean, it's true because even with the patients who we care for in pregnancy who have diabetes, um, whether they develop diabetes in pregnancy or had diabetes before, um, in pregnancy, we ask for them to be a little bit more tightly controlled than when they are in the non-pregnant state. And uh, almost to the point that patients will look at me incredulous, incredulously when we give them their targets for um, for yep. their postprandials and their fastings. Um, and they're just like, oh, my gosh, am I going to be able to get, you know, get my blood sugar down? But if they do or even if they make a good faith effort mm-hmm. and have improvements, it's amazing. They'll say, I actually lost weight. Yeah. Um, and, and it's just by being able to get better glucose control, making different choices about what they eat. Um, and while, you know, you people sometimes say that pregnancy is a great time to motivate people because it's not just about them, but it's about them and the baby and all those other things. I think that it's also a great time for people to see. Sorry, guys, you don't get a chance to see it because you don't get a chance to be pregnant. But um, for for them to get a chance to see, hey, you know, if, if I can do if I do this, there are actually some positive benefits. And the other thing that I really would like for you to speak to as well is that where you are at the time that you're diagnosed, depending on on the circumstances, like it doesn't mean that you have to stay there. So, for example, there may be someone, because we know that it's more common in people who are obese or overweight. Well, right. there are plenty of people who um, who may decide to make the lifestyle choices who may have led a sedentary lifestyle who then become more active and then who lose a significant amount of weight and in some cases it's not as much as people would think and what do they find oh my gosh now all of a sudden my diabetes is much better controlled or I can finally decrease my medication I can decrease my insulin requirements because now I'm doing different things in my life that are making me require less medical intervention. Yeah, diabetes the, as a motivator. Yeah, yeah, the change in your in the, those those behavioral modifications um, can have a big impact on you know what is required of you in the short term, and also like subsequently for the long term. Yeah. You just made some lemonade. There you go. Now, look, lemonade with artificial sweetener. Okay. There you go. Well, oh, gosh. That's true. Um, (laughs) No comment. So so I agree. But um, there's so much to unpack there. I I think the first thing I'd say is that (laughs) you had mentioned that we want to to motivate our, uh, you know, women's health issues and women, but that... The, the guys who we love and who love women. And I think the important thing about that is while they may not share the joys of pregnancy ever, um, when one person in the family starts doing things more healthy 
everyone does. So that's how our guys can get involved and actually be helped because that's what I've sometimes heard too is, and it doesn't matter either spouse, you know, whoever it is, then they turn to the other person and say, we're going to have to do this together. You know, we can't just ask me to eat right and ask me. And so then the, the couple starts eating healthier. And what I think is even more important, and, and I'm not a pediatrician, but if you have kids they learn early. And that's what I've told a lot of my patients because I feel like myself and a lot of the patients, we just didn't think about these things when we were little. Now, that's mm-hmm. partly because the epidemic wasn't as well known. Right. You know, the epidemic really blew up in the 90s and was really starting to be talked about in the 2000s, which was way too late. Um, if you look at the charts, the prevalence of diabetes in the United States was under 5 or 6% until the 90s. And suddenly it really blew up. And the most recent CDC data say that in 2017, the prevalence has finally hit 10%. It has yeah, been going so up it's higher. Like doubled. Yeah, it's least. gone higher mm-hmm. and higher. So because of that, a lot of us didn't grow up being told that you wanted to focus on nutrition and exercise and what you eat. I think that's going to be very different for the younger generation now because so many parents are having to think about it. That if mm-hmm. I have told them if they can raise their kids in an environment where that's actually normal, where it's not work to think about good health and to, to like healthy snacks, then you have a generation whose diabetes rates should go down. And I think yeah. that, that, you know, the focus on kids is a really big deal um, because there's been so much about people in sugary um, cereals and how right. they're kind of targeting yeah, children. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And, and what you said is spot on because I remember when we got vending machines at our high schools, that was like the biggest thing, like right. it's, that we could actually go and buy a Coke and like how now they're kind of pulling that back. And my kids are preschool and elementary school kids and and they we get the little shake your finger wag your finger at the parent like if you are the parent you don't want to be the parent who sends the oreo cookies to school for snack like you are not that parent like they will say oreo shaming (laughs) it's true it's just like they they request these healthy snacks they want healthy snacks and and so it has even gotten to the point where there is parental guidance so on the snack calendar they will say well you look if you're having difficulty figuring it out blueberries and celery like (laughs) send blueberries and celery and i was just like holy smokes they're like well you don't have to send this but if you're a person who struggles to think of an appropriate healthy snack then here are some here are some ideas and they send these lists and they will say do not send a bunch of potato chips and all these other things. Exactly. Like they specifically request these. Things. I know, right? And you feel like you're making oh, me feel bad right now. <laughs> look, if you're that parent that Our goes pretzels and buys, okay. <laughs> if you're that parent who goes and buys those really big bags of like all the different kind of assorted chips, right. like don't send those to school. No onions for you. Which I mean is is very different because for us, like that different. was the thought. Like snack, if it was a snack, yeah. that was the excitement of the snack was that it probably was got like. Little Debbie's. Little Debbie was my best friend. I'm telling you the generational difference, and that's the positive, right? Because I'm with you. I think, you know, snacks were chocolates, Little Debbie's, you know, all of that stuff. And now if we can raise a you know group of kids that grew up to be adults thinking that they enjoy munching on strawberries, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, you know, you can throw in an occasional, you know, little chocolate or something. We're not saying never, but, you know, maybe the, the snack is not the entire bowl of chocolate right. and or the, uh, the whole jar of jelly beans or something like that. And yeah. then we're, we're talking about actually doing 
strawberries, celery, um, actually berries are remarkably healthy. Strawberries and blueberries are probably more water than sugar. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually just had a conversation with a, a gentleman this morning, and we were talking about how as he is trying to help improve his health and his numbers, one issue he didn't realize is that we tell folks that fruits and vegetables are healthy, but for our diabetic friends, probably it's vegetables. Yeah, because we have fruits to be have really so careful. Sugar. Yeah, and so what I recommended for him is that he has be- developed a habit of stacking on oranges. Well, oranges in particular, as maybe many of you know, when someone has a low blood sugar, we use orange juice to get it back up. So oranges are very sweet. Mm-hmm. So he and I talked about how if he could move away from less grapes, less oranges, you know, maybe more, um, as long as you don't have an allergy, nuts. Nuts are a great snack in addition to strawberries and blueberries. Even just a shift in that direction, that actually can really help control. Well, that, that, yeah. That's a great tip. Oh, we do have someone on the, on the phones. We're going to go to Carl, who is calling us from the lovely town of Laurel. Hey, Carl. Yes, uh, I wondered if you guys could compare and contrast the health outcomes, uh, particularly with what you're talking about uh, related to diabetes and obesity between meat eaters and vegan slash vegetarians. So the whole meat issue, this red red meat issue, you know, carbs. Well, I, don't mean, oh, I, mean, I just mean as far as, you know, vegetarian, vegan, their health outcomes. Are they, are they as obese as people who are not vegetarians or vegans, or do they have the high, the same rate, you know, rates of uh, of uh, actually, diabetes as people who, yeah, not, you know, who are not? And I'll listen to your uh, answer off the phone. I mean, off the radio. Okay, um, so. Carl, I think those are really fascinating questions, and I have to say I don't know how much data there are specifically on comparisons of vegan versus meat eaters. That's actually a great question. I I would say that if you eat a lot of anything, you can be overweight. Yeah, and I would also say that the other other emphasis, though, is that perhaps someone, again, just as an example, like a vegan or vegetarian – who is paying attention to their nutrition is more likely to have less weight challenges because of the fact that they are they are kind of tracking. So I think that might be the more important answer is that it may not be exactly what food group you focus on, but that you are focusing on portion size yeah. and that you're focusing on thinking at all about what goes in and how often. I yeah. think those are important. And so like comparing vegetarian diets to um, those where people consume meat, um, one of the things that they say is a benefit is this benefit for cardiovascular disease, which can help to decrease rates of complications with respect to diabetes by just improving your overall cardiovascular health. So when you look at vegetarians versus non-vegetarians, whether they're vegans or just straight vegetarians, um, I think that number one, so that can kind of, as you mentioned, help them to have healthier choices within their diets. Um, it it can help to maintain a healthy weight because that transition in many instances. But here's the thing: um, if you're a vegetarian, you can still you can still eat French fries. Yeah, it's you can say, still all the sugar yeah, foods are still on the table. Actually, a and problem pastas. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And, Dude, pasta for people with diabetes, pastas and those heavy starches yeah. can be a big problem. And yeah. something else. 
rice. Like I have a lot of Chinese food and, and, and those food, yeah. Kind of, yes. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. people so who yeah. all right, look, <laughs> it is good. And but, now we're like but, talking about all the good stuff. But, 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 but hold on, hold on. This is my chance to step in. I'm not saying you can't ever have good food, right? We're right. not because <laughs> it's really important. I th- I think actually sadly that is why some people get so scared by a diagnosis of diabetes. Absolutely. Is that someone is. has told them, Oh my gosh, you're never gonna eat a yeah. crumb of rice again. And you, you know? can't have cake. Or you're never gonna touch cornbread again. Yeah, I mean that's Wine. Yeah, that's that's all you know, and 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 wine may even have cholesterol benefits, you know, and et cetera. Thank you. But bottom line, <laughs> bottom line is what, and I really do emphasize this to the patients. If you say you're never going to have something you like, you're never going to follow that diet. Correct. I mean, that's the bottom line. So compliance is more important to us than being strictly on mm-hmm. you know the line. And so what I tell people is to you know try different things, but. For anyone who has diabetes, check their blood sugar, and they will learn what's okay and what's not okay. That's really the big thing. For example, I had a lady, yeah, -hmm. yeah, she wrote down a a month's worth of sugars, and actually they looked pretty good. And then we had a few days there where things were pretty crazy, and we were laughing, and I said, what happened? And she said, the two cornbreads. So it wasn't just the one. It was that she went all out and she had, you know, at least a couple big slices. And, And the issue there is that she knows that she just has to be a little bit more careful next right. time. You know, maybe yeah. it's not to say she can't have cornbread, but maybe she needs to have, you know, half a little section of it or something mm-hmm. like that. And and the issue is, again, you try it, can you get away with it? If you get away with it, then you did it okay. And if you don't, then you know what to do differently next time. Yeah, and I think that's the thing, though, is like when you realize that you didn't get away with it, <laughs> being able to say, okay, this is this is on the cannot do like this list. And if there is a way that this like there are some things that you feel like, oh, I just I just don't want to let it go. Well, you might not have to let it go altogether, but you're going to you will probably have to give a little and at least be able to back off and not have right. as much as, you know, you might have had in the past. And that in and of itself can be a big win. Right. I think moderation is the key rather than no or never. Because that's it's again, like a punishment. yeah, we're exactly, and I think that's the idea is we don't want people to feel that they're being punished for a diagnosis, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. That's that's not the case. Now, do you have to make changes? Well, sure, but like we just said, those changes may actually lead you to be healthier later mm-hmm. anyway. So they're good changes to have. It can be used as a motivator as long as you don't make it punitive. Well, yeah, and I think that hearing that from from a person who takes care of folks with diabetes is really important because. Um, I don't know that that everybody feels that way about it. And I think the thing that so the narrative that gets perpetuated is a having to stick yourself, which as a self-professed needle phobe is horrible. Um, But the other piece is like all of the things that you that you can't do. And so it seems overly restrictive. Um, And it seems like all of the things that people feel like they can't do are the things that that are kind of the, the fun, the fun good stuff. stuff. Like well, nobody I, says, wow, I get to eat so much spinach now that I'm a diabetic. <laughs> like nobody says that. So, okay. So a couple of thoughts. <laughs> Number one, for the needlephobes out there, um, there's been so much technology and change. You, in, you guys didn't see Dr. Leanne's face when Michelle said that. She was like, <laughs> no, don't say oh that. Don't say gosh. that. <laughs> I'm like, no, that is so serious, though. There are people out there. You guys are who No, are no, listening. wait. She's about to tell you, you why it's not scary. She's about to tell you why it's not scary. Okay, so let's give perspective. Um, uh, the, in Boston in 2015, the American Diabetes Association had their 75th meeting, and they had a really cool display and 
every uh, like little posters were of diabetes through the years. And so it was like, what was it like in the 50s? What was it like in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s? And there was a, a little, you know, diary entry from a 13-year-old who had diabetes in the 50s. And she said, I boil my needles every night. They are very long and, you know, unpleasant. Mm. And what I want to say is no wonder people are scared, right? I mean, that's really how it used to be. But let me point out that was the 1950s. So we are now nearly 2020, which is kind of amazing. And when you think about that, what we've come to is when we show in our clinics what some of the um, insulin injection tools that we have are, especially, for example, the pens, yeah. the needle is tiny. And what I hear from a lot of patients with a lot of surprise is that didn't really hurt. Now, is it true you're sticking yourself? Yeah, I'm not going to say you're not. So, so it, it, is, can, it can be a challenge. But often people will find that it's not what they envisioned at all. It's not like a flu shot. So a lot of people are afraid of a flu shot because flu shots are so important. Please, everybody get your flu shots. They're Don't be afraid. So, yeah, they are so important. But I do know that people say, wow, you know, that seems like something that hurts a little bit and stuff. It's very different from the tools that we have now for daily or multiple multiple daily injections mm-hmm. where people tell me that's just they barely know something happened, but it wasn't something that they'd be afraid to do again or that they felt was painful in any way. So that's first is our tools are different. Second, I want to just point out the future is coming in terms of finger sticks. It's not totally here yet, but it is coming. Um, There may be people who have seen the advertisements on TV for some of the newer meters. There's one in particular where you talk about having to only occasionally um, do an injection and that for the most part you can actually use the meter to just what they call flash past that area. In other words, there may come a point when daily finger sticks is not the norm. And I just want to emphasize that that's where we're moving to new technologies. Um, For those of you who do see those commercials, I do want to put a caution out there that the, you know, it's marketing. So when they put the commercials out, they all say, you know, ask about this device. It, it, It is very insurance dependent. So I just want to be clear that that is something that is the case right now. Not everyone is able to get the newest technology. But I also want to point out that myself and those of us that work in the field and a lot of the patients and, you know, nursing, all of the providers, we're going to advocate for this stuff so that it is going to, I think it will be more covered. So at some point, I'm not sure when, but at some point, some of these newer devices that they may make things so much easier, I think they will eventually be covered by everybody. Well, it makes sense financially because the yeah. more compliance that the payer the can encourage, you can get. the better Absolutely. the outcome is. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think that's a positive. We're going to go ahead and take a break at this time. We have a couple callers on the line, but some lines are open. It's one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can also email us at women at mpbonline.org. We will be right back with Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio.
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And we are back on Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. Arms outstretched, my co-host, Dr. Michelle Owens, and our special guest today, Dr. Lillian Lian. We're talking about diabetes. And as usual, toward the end of the show, our phone lines have lit up. Why don't y'all call early? We want to hear from everybody. Our first caller on the line is Sue, our friend Sue, who's calling from Beaumont. Beaumont. Hey, Sue. Good morning. How are y'all? We're great. I wonder, I'm just wondering, uh, what are the diabetic rates in other countries as compared to the United States? Are we the most obese and the most diabetic country on earth? And I have another question. Uh, uh, what is the current food pyramid? I mean, could you give me a quick rundown on that? Okay. So um, both excellent questions, I have to say, Sue. I actually really appreciate it. And and so with regard to other countries, sadly, we are not. Um, you know, I used to think so, too. Because often, and it's still probably true that a, a country that is lucky enough to have more resources, you know, we're considered whatever they call it, first world and not third world. Uh, that it's true that with more resources, sometimes there's more excess. But sadly, it turns out diabetes is everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so developing countries, large countries, small countries, um, it's everywhere. What I've heard that is actually quite frightening is that there are three locations where there just are a lot of people where diabetes is absolutely blowing out of control, and that's India, China, and the Middle East. So, yeah, those locations, and again, it's not, I mean, you know, those of us who are, you know, I grew up here, those of us who are here, we don't necessarily think about it, but whenever I go to the scientific meetings, you know, so I'll be in San Francisco and Boston, people are obviously from everywhere, and I'm always getting questions, hey, I have a family member back in Egypt, who is dealing with diabetes. Um, Diabetes is rampant in India. Um, And again, I think that that that's why it's become a worldwide challenge is these issues that we've just talked about in terms of exercise, nutrition, making choices, paying attention, it's everywhere. And, And sadly, it doesn't seem to matter whether you have a lot of money or you don't have a lot of money. Um, you make choices all the time, whether, you know, regardless of your circumstances. And it is true, though, I will say one of the bigger challenges that they have found, at least within the United States, is that the places that have more access to grocery stores with the veggies and stuff that we were talking about, that certainly can help. So that's a public health issue that I think they're try- people are trying to address, is how do we make sure that locations that may not have many resources to begin with still have access to healthy foods? And, th- you know, in other words, the McDonald's dollar menu should not be the easiest thing to get, and often it is. It, absolutely. That is a big struggle for patients and even folks who live in in metropolitan areas can still be in food deserts. I mean, exactly. Jackson's the largest city in Mississippi, and we struggle with food food deserts within the city of Jackson. Yeah. Um, and so even more for, the, for rural places, it can also be very difficult for people to have access to those. But the truth is that eating truly healthy 
it's a little bit more expensive. And so it can be somewhat yeah. cross prohibitive as opposed to 60 or 70 years ago when people were eating out of their gardens exactly. in more rural areas. Um, and I also wonder if... And walking to that garden. Well, <laughs> right? well that's, right. that's what I was going to ask. Because, Lillian, when you said that, um, you know, in these places that are highly populated, I wonder how that the dense population might contribute to lifestyle changes that would enable um, diabetes to continue to boom? Like, mm-hmm. it, is it is it better when you're not in a more crowded, congested place? Do you have a better opportunity to, I, like, I'm, I'm, like See, the people I, in Colorado, they're I, the skinniest people in the country. <laughs> well, and, and they have the, the lowest rates of diabetes and on some of these other things that are connected to um, obesity. And it's just kind of like, well, I mean, is it because how much does the, the, pressure or the the compact populations people crowded into areas contribute to that so i think there's so many factors and uh, you know i i can't honestly say enough about because i really i'm curious as to exactly why it's so profound in some places in some parts of china and india except to know that they have high density population but i can say that when when you look around the united states there's all these different factors and and sometimes something that's good in one respect becomes challenging in another for example i've lived you know now for the past 25 years in north carolina and mississippi personally i love both states cuz they're beautiful you have lots of land you have lots of trees um you know cost of living is good and people tend to have yards etc but people tend to drive everywhere yeah and as a result, you just don't have to walk that much. You really don't. Plus, we have so much land that we have a lot of ranch-style places. The reason that I was so surprised is that when I go to some of the meetings that are in the really urban areas, I am surprised because I've been 25 years in North Carolina and Mississippi. I'm surprised to remember that you can't even go to the bathroom without going up or down the stairs. Mm. You you really have to do something. And that I notice as I look around, everyone's biking because they can't afford cars. It's so, and in a lot of cases, they can't afford large houses either, sadly. So, you know, it really, it, it, these are, these are factors that force people to act differently. And that's part of that result. Yeah. Any comments on the food pyramid? Oh, yeah, yeah. So that that was a great question, Sue. Um, With regard to the food pyramid, that really has changed. There there were some jokes. There were some jokes a few years ago. I heard that, you know, it used to be the pyramid and that the the joke I heard at one meeting was maybe next time it will be a rotating orb. Um, (laughs) I mean, seriously, we're not sure what the shape should actually be anymore. I think the common sense approach and where most of the medical societies are going is to, again, moderation, not necessarily say that X percent should be carb or x percent should be um you know uh protein but simply to think about the fact that the majority of us if you were to look at your plate you know forget about the pyramid if you were to look at your plate a lot of people have a lot of carb and a lot of fat and really to increase the protein you know, to re- and, and that sounds hard. I get that question a lot. How do I increase my protein? And I remind people, do you like um, chicken? Um, do you like cheese? Do you like milk? 
Um, do you like fish? Uh, these are these are all options where we can find ways to take the carb portion down a bit. Again, not aiming for a specific percentage, but just saying that we shouldn't have it be half the plate is fries and the other half is the cake or something like that. Yeah, well, that's a great way to look at it. Well, well, thank you for your call, Sue. I'm sure we'll hear from you soon. Next, we're going to go back to the phones and talk to Mikey, who's calling us from Mobile. Oh, you you all are so great. I mean, you just answered a bunch of the questions that I've been thinking about. Um, uh, I'm going to try to make it brief here. Um, I'm surprised to hear that diabetes is rampant in India. Um, Sincerely. um, Yeah. Well, but I'm sure that it's a much more complex discussion than we have for here right now. Um, But uh, my my questions are specifically regarding some of the nuts, meat, fish um, uh, dehydrations, concentration on the the protein side, and other flavor concentrates is what I'm going to call them, okay? Uh, you, you said that the fruits, um, of course, are good, but that's because of their high water content. Um, so if, you, if you're cooking for diabetics or, or assembling for diabetics, <laughs> if it's not actually cooking, um, if you use a fresh base of those kinds of fruits, of fresh fruits, and then my real question is... Um, the difference between freeze-dried and powdered, uh, I mean, uh, that can be made into powders and dehydrated, freeze-dried and dehydrated, dehydrated fruits are not the same thing, right? So I'm thinking that, you know, maybe the freeze-dried can be sprinkled over the dehydrated, mixed in with the fresh fruits for flavor concentration safely. Okay. Those are interesting questions, Mikey. Okay. I think we need to go back again to talk about how fruit for diabetics, instead of fruits and vegetables, it's like fruits and vegetables, right? Right, right, right. Little on the fruits and big on the vegetables. Caution on the fruits, um, or at least caution on some of the fruits that we all know are very sweet, like uh, try to have less consumption of oranges, less consumption of grapes, et cetera. Um, and and certainly the vegetables are good. What I think is um, the questions that you asked, ma'am, I think are are really interesting. And I think what we need to do is to have studies on these because I have not really heard much in terms of what you're hinting at, which is the question of food processing. And we know that that is important because we're now hearing about how high fructose corn syrup is a problem and all of these other things that are part of packaging and processing. So when you get to the question of dried and powdered, I have to say, I don't think we've studied that and that we probably need to be looking at that. Well, thanks for your question, Mikey. I want to try to get this one more call in before the end of the show. Adrian is calling also from Mobile. Got about a minute, Adrian. Hey, Adrian. Hi. Okay, well, I'll keep it short, and then I'll listen to your response um, on the radio. I just wanted to ask you ladies about um, the keto diet and diabetics. My mother is a diabetic, and from January, or back in January, she and I got on keto, and it's been going really great. So I just wanted to know what... um, Y'all thought about that for diabetics. So, by great, well, how does her blood? Sh- okay, how do you quantify great for your mom? Well, uh, uh, previous to going on this diet, um, her blood sugar was way out of control, and now actually she has a pump that can, you know, she can see a graph, so it's very visual of like where her blood sugar is going, and with the Glucose keto monitor. diet, yeah. It, uh, and with the keto diet, it just very much is rather straight across the board okay. as opposed to up and down. 
Okay. So I think my general thought would be that once again, whenever anyone and and you two have gone on the uh, you know journey of actually changing food habits, that that already generally it kind of predisposes to people doing better because you're paying attention, you're checking. So uh, first of all, anything that is helping her numbers look more steady, I would advocate for that. Now, keto in general, I have to be very careful because I'm I'm thinking there are probably listeners out there who know that one of the complications of diabetes is called diabet- uh, diabetic ketoacidosis, DKA. And it does relate to a situation where if your um, if your body your insulin and your carb amounts are not working properly, you can get into trouble. So I would just caution on keto per se. But again, if you're making efforts to change your diet and checking your sugars, that's really the most important thing. Thank you for those wise closing words, Dr. Leanne. This is Dr. Allie Brown for uh, Dr. Michelle Owens and myself. Today's Uh, Thank you for listening to us today on Southern Remedy for Women. It was produced and engineered by Jay White. Our call screener was Java Chapman. And uh, join us next week. Coming up next is Here and Now, NPR's Here and Now on MPB Think Radio.